This is Coda Radio, episode 233 for November 28th, 2016. Welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week, yes, you guessed it, it's our host who's established on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, Mr. Fisher. Hello, sir. Hello. You know... We're gathered here today on a day where I forgot to grab my morning coffee. I don't have any Sam Adams, which would be the traditional Coda Radio beer. It would be. It's official sponsor. It, it is. I don't have a tea. I don't even have a cup of tea, Mr. Dominic. So I am going in. I'm going into this without any of my vices today. So you got to be gentle on me because I'm I'm a mess. Well, I'm a mess. I'm just a mess. You are, you are a mess. I, yeah. I came prepared because, you know, I am the right. better host. Yeah, of course. You came prepared. Obviously, you were taking this seriously. I, I was uh, – I have no excuse. There's no excuse. So today's uh, official drink spotter is Cuddy Scotch Whiskey, the Prohibition Edition. <laughs> Wait a minute. What makes it a Prohibition Edition? It's just a different blend. Like the the recipe they used that got people killed during the prohibition. Like, hey, it, remember that dangerous one we made in the bathtubs? Ah. It, <laughs> That's it's, it's it's the same blend as from the twenties. Uh-huh. Uh, it's like ten dollars more a bottle. The raging twenties, you mean? The yeah. raging twenties. Well, the raging twenty sixteens are here, and we have uh, our first sales numbers on the Amazon Echo. I thought this is interesting. In just a moment, I'll tell you why. But a new report from Consumer Intelligence Research Partners is estimating that the retail giant, a.k.a. Amazon, that's what you say when you're writing, instead of saying Amazon, you say things like retail giant, has sold 5.1 million of the smart speakers in the U.S. since it debuted two years ago. Now, these are not numbers from Amazon. These are numbers from Consumer Intelligence Report that they are research partners that are they're pairing, they're pairing up with other people who are looking at numbers and coming to an average number they all agree on. They're pretty confident in these numbers, though. Uh, they say only 2 million were sold in the first nine months of 2016, or as, as many as, depending on how you want to look at that. So that is the uh, the echo, 5 million in two years. But your host here on the uh, Coda Radio program, Mr. Michael Dominic, just tweeted that he just picked himself up a Google Home for testing purposes. So we have a new competitor entering the marketplace. So why the uh, why the Google Home for you, Mr. Dominic, over the obvious successful Amazon Echo? Well, I, uh, I I really want to see what the Google AI is doing um, and how effective that could be in basically just like in life. Um, Man, I you use know, Google for – go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, uh, you know where it could be really handy is if you're in the whole Android ecosystem and you've got mm. – here's my ideal scenario with Google Home. And I don't have one. I don't plan on getting one. But I'd, right. I'd like to test this. Uh, I need to get toothbrush, uh, toothbrush and toothpaste. Because uh, the the uh, you know the old ones are just you know whatever like or, or milk or whatever it is, and sure, I, I sure. think of it while I'm at home, and then when I'm at the grocery store, I can never remember if I could say, okay, Googs, add to my grocery shopping list toothpaste, and then next time I'm at the grocery store, I bring up the grocery shopping list on my Android Wear watch or on my Pixel or whatever this Google Fantasy ecosystem is, and I have it all right there. Just small little things like that, I can see a value in being able to yell at my house and getting something on a list like that. But are you looking for something more than to-do and timers? Are you looking for actual, like, what kind of bot capabilities are behind this? Are you looking at it more like behind-the-scenes kind of stuff? Okay, so so there's a couple things, right? Um, there's short-term and long-term. And there's also the fact that it was on sale for Black Friday. So oh, cool. Throw that out there. One, I use the Google ecosystem for, like, my music, all that kind of crap. I'm a Google Play subscriber. Um, even though my personal phone is an iPhone 7, I do all my photos in Google. And in fact, my work phone is a uh, Nexus 5X. Animal. Um, I am. <laughs> thank you. I am literally wearing a first-gen Moto 360 right now. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty jacked in. The only problem uh, in the short term I think I'm going to have is all my work stuff is on my Google for, you know, my Google for business or Google for work, whatever they're calling it now. 
and all my like music subscriptions are on my personal Gmail. Yeah. Yep. And I know the Google Home just can't handle that, which is really dumb. It like really, and really dumb. I feel like that was that was a that's been you know this this weird split between Google Apps for business and personal has been right. has been a penalty that you pay if you are in if you have a personal account and a business account now for the entire existence of the of the product and it's kind of a bummer that in 2016 this is still an issue because exactly where I would be right now is that yeah. and what it really does is it pushes you to put more and more stuff on your personal account which is not a good business practice well my phone uh it's like recognizes that there's two separate accounts but I'm the same person right, right? So one of the things I, I really like about the Nexus 5X uh, and the Google Assistant is if it knows I'm, you know, this is this is sales season for me. So I'm driving around, I'm doing some dev, I'm doing whatever, but I'm doing a lot of traveling and traffic sucks. I like the preemptive warnings, right, with the Google cards. Um, I think that Google's AI is going to, if there is one winner, I'm relatively confident it'll be them. Um, I, 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 we've talked about this uh, maybe four or five episodes back. I, I don't think Siri is going in a direction um, fast enough to really compete, you know, blow for blow, so to speak. Microsoft, it does have some interesting stuff with the bot framework um, and Cortana, but again, they're just not right. They're not embedded in the hardware like Google is with the Google, uh, you know, with the Android phones, and now the Pixel phone, which I, I don't have. But certainly, you know, Google Assistant's on every Android phone, as long as it's a Google branded. If, if Google. yeah, and if we are, yeah. if we believe that what we're told that uh, data is the key to successful AI and being able to look at like all of this uh, machine learning capabilities that Google's been building now for years, they seem to be they seem to be. While while the Echo is ahead in the marketplace, Google's I think inarguably ahead in this particular space and. How that actually gets manifested and used, I think, still remains to be seen. I think uh, people are more critical of Siri than is perhaps fair um, mm. when it comes down to when it comes down to what you actually need a personal assistant to do. And uh, I think Google often misses the mark in a lot of little ways that add up after you know after a few months of just thousands of cuts. So the question will really be: Can they over time evolve a product like this? Because in theory. In theory, I would think, unless something has to change with, like, networking standards or microphones, they should be able to iterate the intelligence and capability of this thing server-side for many years, and this thing should just sit on your desk and get smarter and smarter over time. I would think so. I mean, just taking it uh, up 10,000 feet, we would be remiss if we didn't mention the possible creepiness factor here. You know, one test I'd like to run is get in an argument with my wife and then see if I log into Gmail and it recommends, you know, 1-800-Flowers, right? <laughs> Ads for jewelry, things mm. like that. Yeah, I've been hoping that as people get their hands on this, people start throwing network sniffers at it and put it on the hub and watch all the data that comes in and out of this thing. Yeah, see, I, I'm – like it's not going in my living room, right? It's going in my home office or my actual office, Um and probably my home office because I don't – I feel like I could use this so much more at home, to, helping me organize family events and reminders and uh, setting timers for dinner and all those right, things. Or just travel, right? You're, you're getting dressed. You have an appointment. You know, I mean some one of the things that I love on my, uh, my Moto 360 is I'll get a thing that says, you know, there's an accident on Route 18. Go on the parkway. Stuff like that that – just helps, right? This just actually helps. Now, if you want just that, have you noticed with your iPhone 7 that Siri does that now? Like, um, it, it, it may not do it for you, depending on your setup, but if you have a vehicle with Bluetooth, when yeah. um, when your phone, when your engine starts and your phone connects to the uh, car's in-car in Bluetooth system, Siri is smart enough to recognize, oh, that's an, auto, that's an automobile and you're in your truck and you're in your truck at uh, 7.30 a.m. You're probably going to the office so it sends a local push notification to my to my lock screen saying you have a 47 minute drive to work right now or something like that due to light traffic. Uh, so my the car I primarily drive is a 2008 Toyota Corolla that does not have that feature. My wife's car is a last year uh, Chevy Trax. It does have Bluetooth tie-in, but it's I've never seen that happen. I mean, ever. Yeah, so I, it, it, I mean, I think Android's been doing it for much longer, but I think starting with iOS you, eight, nine or ten. Do you have to have ten. Apple like CarPlay? Nope. 
or whatever. It just has to be a Bluetooth device that Apple knows is a is an audio manufacturer's you know car device, and then Siri. It's part of Siri Suggest and all of that, but it actually sends a push push notification. I would maybe I would presume it probably send it to the watch if you had a watch. I, I don't have the Apple Watch anymore. Yeah, I don't have the Apple Watch. So yeah. we'll see. I mean, I, I hope to get it. I'm going to run some tests, um, and we'll see how it goes. I, I the reviews are okay to possibly good. I would I, do you have a like um do you have a way to test like any of like the Chromecast functionality and that kind of stuff cuz No, I don't have a Chromecast. That seems the the whole ecosystem functionality there where uh imagine imagine for a moment if you were a Jupiter broadcasting if you could make apps for this thing and you could make a Jupiter broadcasting app for this Google Home and by default it would just listen. So you would say, you know, okay, Google's play the latest episode of Coded Radio and it would just use the built-in speaker and play the latest episode. But then wouldn't it be incredible if you could then also say something like, okay, Googs, cast that to my TV instead. And then it, it pulls down the YouTube video version and uses the built-in Google Cast capabilities to send it to your television. Well, I mean, that seems like exactly where we're going. I would love that. I would love to be able to switch between mediums like that too, use its audio capabilities, and then switch to video and maybe even switch back depending on what my work, you know, because I'll, when I, when I, there, the podcasts that I listen to that have video versions, I usually switch between depending on what I'm doing. It'd be great to have some sort of switching around like that. There's so many capabilities. I don't have faith that Google's going to nail all of them, but if they could open this thing up to developers, see, I feel like right now the Echo's got them beat in this regard. Well, and that is my one thing about, my one qualm about buying the Google Home is it's really not open to developers at all, right? It's, it's open like Google Plus is. Oh. I mean, they've partnered, they partnered with Nest and uh, Philips and if it, this, it, then it's, that. It's, it's very Apple of them, actually, how they're handling the whole developer mm-hmm, program. They're mm-hmm. like, you need to be our friend and we'll let you on. And you need to sign this NDA. You know. So you know what's kind of funny, too, is really the only tie between Google Assistant and the Google Home is if I – and again, I don't have one. But from the reviews that I've read, it appears that if this, then that is really like the – the bridge between the Google Assistant, which is like the premier feature yeah. of the Pixel, and the Google Home, which is like one of their premier AI assistant devices. Isn't that weird? Isn't that, isn't that weird that the Assistant – like if you have a Google Home, like your Assistant should – it would be associated with your Google account. So then you would think Google Assistant would easily become aware that you now have a Google Home and how to communicate with it because all of that information is probably in your Google account. It's just it's bizarre to me that those two things are not connected. It's like they're being created by two separate companies. Yeah, I, I have a sense that again these are just you know first gen product growing pains. Yeah, I bet. And now, like I said, they could continue to iterate up in the cloud, and uh, it should be fine. Yeah. Look wise too, it looks really good. So I'm really curious because honestly, there is room in my life for some of the Google services, and now that I don't have an Android device as my daily driver. I do miss some of that convenience. In fact, every now and then I, I, I open up the Google app on my iPhone and I'm like, oh, yeah, look at all this stuff it's telling me about in these cards that I don't even pay attention to anymore because I don't open the Google app very often on iOS. Um, anyways, it's, yeah, it's, 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 so, it's I mean, an we, interesting we, device. We, it's an interesting device. And I'm, I'm, you know, with the shipping, I'm probably not going to have it for next week's show, but we should um, move on. You know, before yeah, we, we go off the – one thing, before we go off the Google ecosystem completely, I just contributed a little bit to the Google ecosystem myself. I just want to oh, give no. a, a quick plug for a new video project. It's like a quasi behind the scenes of the Jupiter Broadcasting Network. It starts with a road trip down to meet BSD to go figure out how the BSD guys live and it turned into a much bigger project. And I just posted the first of two videos uh, on my YouTube channel, which I'll have a link in the show notes if you guys want to check that out. YouTube.com slash Chris Fisher is just my name. Hey, hang on. You voluntarily went to visit BSD, guys? I did. I did. Yeah, I did. Are you are you okay? Well, let's say I'm not kidding. Within about eight minutes that I pulled up in the parking lot, they were in my home, and it went crazy after that. In yeah. fact, uh, I think that might be – I posted both part one and two. That might be in part two. I can't remember. Did you mention containers to them just to piss them off? I mean, oh, it's always, it's oh always don't always get them started. Continue. Don't get them started on the containers. We've had that for 15 years. Oh, so. they don't like that. They don't like that one bit. The room went oh. silent when the FreeNAS guys uh, said very quickly. They were going over the new features of FreeNAS 10, yeah. and they said, uh, and uh, Docker containers. Uh, come on, guys. People want Docker containers, and they just moved on right to the next feature, and that was it. <laughs> they they, so, they want to throw your ass right in a jail. Before we go too much further, do you want to talk about the uh, 
post over on Medium, or no, it was actually uh, freecodecamp.com. Yep. And it, uh, it looks like it's about ethics and coding. And this always is kind of an interesting debate. So, so I really didn't, actually, but people kept uh, sending it to me. Okay, okay. So, okay. Share with me. This, this guy is a developer. You know, uh, he works for a pharmaceutical company that makes uh, some sort of, uh, I guess it's basically like a birth control medication of some kind. And the, the details don't really matter, but the point is they wrote this little marketing web app that was super unethical because basically as long as you had money, the end result was, oh, yeah, our product's great for you. Go ahead and uh, ask your doctor or go ahead and, you know, order it. Fine, and there's a larger conversation about, like, ethics and coding and the fact that we're an unlicensed industry. If you are a developer, licensing is maybe not something that you should want. We don't really want – I don't think it's a good idea for us to become, like, architects or physical engineers or anything like that. But we can even, like – let's just go away from that for a second – Every single profession in the world has unethical people in it. There are unethical baristas who will short you on your coffee or overcharge you. There are unethical lawyers. There are no ethical lawyers. Yeah. So the so in here uh, it's kind of interesting. So they're they're so people are researching for like symptoms and whatnot on the web, and they come across a website that looks like a general right. information website. It's not necessarily branded any particular way. It doesn't disclose it's being paid for by the creator of a drug. It has a quiz. Yeah. It's this in this case. It's targeted at women. The women take the quiz, and um, the quiz basically always recommends the pharmaceutical product. Yeah. And so right. in internal testing, they were looking at it and they had one of their clients, projects manager going over it, giving a quick test. And she writes back and she says, this quiz doesn't work. And then he, the guy that's developing it writes back. Cause at the time, remember he's all in. I mean, he's ashamed of it now, but at the time he's all in, he writes back and he says, well, what's broken? He says, well, it seems no matter what I do, the quiz recommends the client's drug as the best possible treatment. The only exception is if I say I'm allergic or if I say I'm already taking the drug. And then he writes back, yes, that's exactly what the requirements say to do. Everything leads to the client's drug. And then she writes back, oh, okay, cool. And that was it. That was the only discussion about it. <laughs> yep. Woo, that is. And he's like, I'm still, I still feel bad about it. And nothing we were doing was illegal either. Make good money. Yeah, I mean, that's some like – we could get into a conversation here about like super shady in-app purchases and kids' games, right? Where, you know, they try to psychologically manipulate children into buying a bunch of crap. Or, frankly, adults, too. Uh, Smurf berries, right? Uh, Simpsons donuts. I mean, we, we, Candy Crush. Let me just say Candy Crush. Mm, candy Crush. All these, like, you know, okay, things can get dirty, things can get shady. There was a discussion around uh, when the FBI was pushing Apple for a backdoor into the iPhone that they didn't even need. Uh, there, was a, there was a very uh, sort of... Uh, Background discussion, really. It didn't really bust forward much, but there's a background discussion saying, well, would developers at Apple even be willing to do this? Would there be some developers that would find it unethical to create a backdoor that could be used against millions of devices? Which, again, the FBI doesn't actually need, but it's a whole different problem. Uh, yeah, I mean, okay, so if you find things unethical, don't do them. Like, we don't, you know, I won't work on pornography sites. Not Porn is not illegal in the United States. I just won't do it because I, I don't think that's a great thing for me to be doing. Right. Um, but some people will. Some many of my competitors do, and they may not advertise that, but it pays, you know, half the revenue. Mm -hmm. That's fine. No judgment. Hey, it's legal. As long as you know, I would probably think twice about doing a job for a cannabis shop. Doesn't mean the fact that Chris is the biggest stoner in Washington State doesn't bother me at all. Amazing. Yeah, I'm so stoned see, right now. I'm so stoned. You see, you see how I got there though, right? You see like I made it work. I would. Uh, I tell you what. If anything, I, that's a business opportunity that I should. I should have. Uh, I should have be uh, getting out of this podcast industry, and I should have gotten to the IT support for the cannabis industry. That's probably money, Dude. money, money right now. Salesforce, Microsoft Dynamics, the amount of data that's just flying. See, that's through where these guys you and I differ. Ahead. I absolutely. When something like that comes along, as long as nobody's getting hurt, I absolutely would capitalize on that. I'm. I'm. You think I'm joking, but I actually did consider launching a like a podcast about it, just because I could go down and interview people that were doing all of the work very easily. It's all right here. It's accessible. It's legal. And I would. And I thought, you know, 
maybe I'll just launch another another off network show that is just its own standalone thing that is just me going down there and doing interviews with people because simply there is a market advantage to having an industry that is going from illegal to legal right oh, around sure. me and it's like god that is that's a hard business. I see a business opportunity there. And I saw a business opportunity in maybe helping them establish podcasts and equipping them. I thought about going that route. I thought they about helping set up websites and helping them get yeah. engaged in social media. Like there's all these different avenues I considered making money, but uh, I'm too busy well, making and, and to be fair, there are degrees, right? Like I got to be honest with you. I could probably be turned on the whole pot thing because you know what? Cigarettes are work. Worse. <laughs> Beer. Every- and remember, don't, don't forget our official desk. Budweiser sponsorship here on the show. We do have a... I would not, but... Uh, yeah, that's right. Hey, everybody, go get yourself a Budweiser. Wait, what? They're not paying? Now, oh. No, no one pays for sponsorships. I, I thought... I thought. Oh, sorry. I just got a note from the back office here. Budweiser is not a sponsor. Budweiser is not a sponsor. Sorry about that. Well, that's okay. We don't need their kind. Um, <laughs> so, again, this is not like – I guess my my problem here is to me the solution is don't do things you think are unethical, right? There, There is absolutely no way that licensing would be – would one, protect from this case because pharmaceutical companies could totally find ways around that and make it legal for the software developers to do it. You just do it or outside the not. U.S.? Right, just do it in uh, emerging markets. Let's be honest. That's where a lot of the money is for a lot of people anyway. Just make it a website. Right, host it somewhere else. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Good old I Ireland. Know. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm just... Use a DigitalOpen droplet. Host it in Singapore. Hey, speaking of that, DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code, Coder Digital. This is our first sponsor this week. DigitalOcean.com. You can go create a droplet. Now, what is a droplet? That is a really simple, straightforward machine that you control that can run Linux. It can run BSD. You can get it running in less than 55 seconds, and pricing plans start at only $5 a month. For 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. But check this out. They also offer hourly pricing. Now, remember, when you use our promo code Coder Digital, you get the $10 credit. You apply that to your account. You go create the account, log in, apply it. Now you got $10. You can use a DigitalOcean. Well, for $0.03 an hour, you can run a machine with 2 gigs of RAM, a 2-core processor, 40 gigabyte SSD, because they're all SSDs, and 3 terabytes of transfer. And then if you just want to be baller for a little while, like take a screenshot of your rig and be like, hey, r slash Unix porn, uh, this is my machine. It's just, you know, my daily driver. And uh, you could have 224 gigabytes of RAM, a 32-core processor, 500 gigabyte SSD, and 10 terabyte. What's that? Oh, people use that for high compute work. Oh, oh, with the, with the blocks? Yeah. Oh, I got another note here from the back office. <clears throat> It says also that you can use DigitalOcean's crazy great block storage, which you can attach, you know, just like a little bit of ED here, all the way up to 16 terabytes. And it's all, yeah, it's all, all of that SSD highly available and replicated all around their data centers. Jeez, that's a great idea. Would they have data? Oh, yeah, look at this. Another note from the back office. They have data centers in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Toronto, Germany, even in India. And I'll tell you what, if you just want to get close to Alan Jude, Toronto's where it's at. But then they bring it all together with that beautiful, beautiful DigitalOcean interface. It's designed well. It's extremely powerful, very functional. If you're a beginner or a very experienced user, you're going to love it. they got an API to match and an HTML5 console so you can watch your droplet from post all the way up to login. Lightning fast network with 40 gigabit connections up to the hypervisors, highly available storage, team accounts. And all SSDs. And I think it's really slick that you can do monthly pricing or you can do hourly pricing. That makes it simple to experiment and then roll it right into production. And then you use the management capabilities of their web interface for snapshots and backups and templates. And you are cooking with gas. DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code CoderDigital. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Boom. So we had an email in here about continuous integration. Do you want to jump into this? I could read it real quick if you'd like. Yeah, let's get off my deeply questionable moral system. Yes, all right, fine. Uh, so this came in from – how can we don't put their name in here? What's up? What's going on with this? What's up? Hold on. I'm looking. Uh, nope, no name. Although one of the coolest, craziest, longest, like, whale tail signatures ever in ASCII. So there's that. So whoever Mr. Whale Tail is, thank you. So, he named himself JB Listener. That's why. 
Okay. Uh, so continuous integration and deployment has saved our bacon by making our contractors a lot more productive. All the infrastructure in place, they just jump in and enjoy those benefits. All the test infrastructure is provided to them out of the box. Now you're a contractor. It's absurd for a contractor to install its own expensive continuous integration and deployment. That's crazy. The overhead and cost is prohibitive. The business that hires you should have one who evaluates. The business that hires you should be the one who evaluates whether or not they should be implementing continuous integration and continuous deployment. It doesn't make sense to set up all this overhead just for a 90-day project. Now, I admit our contractors are contributing to a multi-year enterprise product, not a 90-day project of a one-off app. He says he's got a couple of helpful litmus test questions too. Uh, does shipping every two weeks net new sales? Are you in organizations with 20-plus engineers developing a single product? And uh, product guar- is product guaranteed going to live for at least more than three months? So there you go. That is uh, JB Listener Whale Tales. Uh, look at that cool whale tail. Right there. I'm assuming it's either that or it's Maui's hook. I'm not I sure. believe it's a hammer. Okay. Oh, you're right. It's not Thor's hammer, but it is. It is a it's hammer. It's a hammer. Yeah. Okay. What do you? How do you? How do you feel about the client being the one to supply no, the? You know. Yeah. I. I completely actually agree with that. That makes more sense because it's part of the infrastructure. Well, what client? What client is going to be sitting there saying, "Well, let me set up this entire continuous integration and deployment infrastructure, and then not have a full time IT staff that could already use it?" I mean, what? what? You, what? Well, I mean, do do we want to get even more cynical on this? Sure, I love cynical. I mean, I don't have, I, like I said, I don't have the coffee. I don't have my tea. I don't even have a sandwich. You have cynicism then. Here we go. Is It seems that some of this continuous integration, continuous deployment stuff, in cases where it's not super appropriate, is just another thing that like vendors use to ding each other with, right? To try to kind of snake a contract. Feels like it. Feels like it. Feels like almost exactly like it, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, remember when unit testing was first kind of, I know it was a thing in the 70s, please don't email. But when it kind of came back in Rails, one of those things, oh, well, they didn't write unit tests. No, we didn't. That's bad. You should give us the work. Mm-hmm. Like It feels like another one of those kind of situations where, you know, it's being used as a as a kind of bludgeon against other vendors. And it doesn't make a ton of sense. Um, unless I agree, unless the product or service is going to be long lasting, right? Because it is a pretty significant upfront investment. And, you know, of all the people who kind of tweeted at me and emailed and all that kind of stuff, no one could like answer the question of, okay, what's the ROI? Like, give me a, a rate of return. No one had an answer to that. I wonder if in a world of droplets and virtualization and containers, if it's getting more realistic for a small client base to have, uh, you know, a client that's 20, 30 employees. I just, yeah, you really got to be, you really got, I just don't know. Even I'm, tr- I'm trying to make it justifiable. Even, even at that scale, I just don't see it likely that they would have an infrastructure ready for you. And so I think, it, I think it's a little unreasonable for them to be making that request. Okay, so you think the actual request, unless it's a long, uh, long-lived web service or something like that, is actually just totally off base? Yeah, I do. I mean, it may be the expect. I don't know why the expectation is there, uh, and so that you know, maybe uh, it's there because of you know content marketing. That's what it seems like. Um, it seems a little unreasonable. It seems a little over the top. It seems like it feels like to me too that if if they were sold something else that they could that they could get excited about, you could likely sell them on that. Right. I mean, like if they're being swayed by those things. Maybe the solution really is a sales is a real sales technique to sell them on a. Again, I come back to I think you should productize a bit of what you do and sell those particular features as products, and then because you can be bundling those things, they might be. This goes back to our conversation last week about the Disneyland thing. One of the ways you could give things away for free is by productizing and giving fancy names to the different things you do, and then just conclude them as part of a bundle. And so, part of it could be your testing system. You could give it a great name. Uh, and just say, well, we we solve that by using this and have, you know, a spiel that you go into about it. It's not even lying. It's just it's helping the client actualize the individual slices of work you actually take on for the different things. It's uh, yeah, I, you know, I don't want to go back into the topic, but I, I did have a follow on conversation offline with a few people about it. It definitely feels like. Fancy names make things seem valuable. <laughs> I really hate to say that. But. That's why every time Apple introduces something now, they 
Put a new chip in it and give it the A1, the S1, the M1. Right. Nobody yeah. knows. I mean, it's just it's a little ARM chip running some little mini iOS or something like that, right? It's, it's you know, the same thing all the time. The touch bar, the, what they, I forget what they call it, the T1 or whatever. I mean, you know, yeah, they productize it. Well, the W1 in the headphones, I think, is what you're actually yeah, thinking of. Yeah, they, I'm just saying, like, they, they, even when they do these things, like, uh, it's, not, it's not a pressure touch. It's 3D touch. It's, it's force touch, right? It's not, uh, it's not just pressure right. tensitive or a capacitive touch. They give it, like, fancy names. Well, I think the complexity here, too, is that, you know, continuous delivery, continuous integration is really valuable in some cases. Uh-huh. And to be clear, you know, it also means different things to different people. Um, mm-hmm. I'm talking about full test coverage, the whole kit and caboodle. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, I guess I really just don't think that like AT&T's or Verizon's or, you know, Comcast development needs enterprises of that scale. I really don't think that applies to local small business. I just don't. Mm-hmm. Or to your your startup, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. maybe I'm wrong, and 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 it's probably more of a question of once you hit a certain scale, it does matter. But really, like I said last week, your startup is unlikely to survive two years, right? You you need to get traction, and making that investment is probably not worth it. Because look at Twitter; Twitter went down all the time, and it's it's still not making money. But that's a different problem. I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm over oversimplifying it or exaggerating the upfront cost, but you're, you're absolutely right, Chris. Unless the uh, I mean continuous integration, continuous deployment, or none, if the client doesn't have on-site IT, they still need you to do everything. Mm-hmm. So, what's the point other than making your job slightly easier? Well, I don't think you're overreacting because if it, 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 your time is valuable and if that's, you know, like for, for me, like there's there's so many things I hear where people are saying, well, I don't understand why you don't just do X, Chris. It's very simple. You'd have it done in an hour. And I I just, to me, that time is, I have so little free time. That time is so valuable and I always have something else to be doing. There's never a, there's never a moment where I can say, all right, I'm going to build this thing out or I'm going to go fix this particular issue. And a lot of stuff just lingers and never gets fixed because of that. Uh, and it's not that I don't want to do it. It's not that it's not easy. It's just simply my time is just sort of a mess. And so it is extremely hard for me to sometimes get get my S together enough to get something done. And it doesn't really matter how quick or simple it is. And they, so the problem is, is well, I, I, have, I have a lot of things I need to do that I could do very quickly, but there's this core set of work and this is what I can do and I know I can deliver on this. And I just don't really have the time to do this part yet. And they're asking for something from me that I don't really have the time to to build out and I don't really feel like the right. amount of money they're paying me makes it worth it. Because that's the other that's the other equation of it is it's probably a completely different story if all of a sudden a lot more money's on the table. But when you're working with less money than you'd like to begin with, maybe you're not getting paid quite as much as you'd like to begin with, all these little things seem very expensive. Well, th- there is a, a whole conversation here about like, is it a fixed bid contract or is it a time and materials contract, right? Because mm-hmm. it really doesn't make sense uh, to do it on a fixed bid unless that bid is very, very large. Because someone in the chat room was saying, well, continuous integration makes it easier to transfer vendors, which is generally something you don't want, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, uh, it depends if, if you want to get rid of the client, maybe, but yeah. <laughs> well, if you want to get rid of the client, sure. But like, you know, it. I tend to be fairly helpful if someone wants to go to a different vendor but there there are definitely limits on my helpfulness right um and i know most other vendors just like don't pick up the phone if hey we got this contract i know you guys were working on it. thanks bye jerk mm-hmm. click mm-hmm. like no one no one really wants to be helpful to their competition uh i i sometimes it makes sense and i tend to be helpful only because i have the opinion that as long as it's another little guy, okay. But, you know, let's make a crazy case. Certainly if ThoughtBot poached one of my contracts, they'd pick up the phone and I'd say, go F yourself and hang up the phone, right? Because mm-hmm. really, what, do you, what are you doing, ThoughtBot? What is wrong with you? Sorry. Ooh, getting a little... Ooh, heat. It's all right. I like heat. the heat. I right. like the heat. Yeah. I like the that heat. has never happened with, with ThoughtBot. I like ThoughtBot. They're nice. Oh, so... Good feedback on the continuous integration question. And it's kind of funny how it yep. feels like it could, to me, 
I think there's a lot of ways to look at it. To me, it does sort of feel like it, at the end of the day is a sales problem. If you could sell them on something else, you probably wouldn't have this problem. Well, I, I think it's just, – just to hit it again really quick, some people need it. But those yes, people right. are relatively few and far between considering like doing mobile apps, right? And it is just something that people feel like they need, almost like you know gold cables from Best Buy. You don't need them. <laughs> In fact, that's oh, a bad analogy because you are being ripped off with the gold cables. Like, man, freaking Best Buy and the, and the price of cables. Do oh. they still do that? Do they still try to sell you gold-plated no, cables? No, they've actually gotten because – because they got such a bad rep, they've gotten a little bit better about it. But it's still – it is – it's yeah. uh, just recently I went over to Best Buy to grab some Ethernet cables and then I had to go over to Lowe's to get some uh, soldering stuff. And walking through Lowe's, I saw Ethernet saw, – I saw the same Ethernet cable for uh, for like eight bucks cheaper. So. Yeah. I still shop at Radio Shack because I basically feel bad for them. Oh, Radio Shack. That's adorable. You know what? They have the cable every time. <laughs> That's, that should be their slogan. You know what, Radio Shack? That's a we free one. I want you to email CodaRadioJupiterBroadcasting.com. We'll work something out. Mike's the idea guy here, and he's giving that one to you for free. All right? I, lo- I love you, Radio Shack. All right, let's move so on. So you, you wanted to do a state of hybrid uh, in uh, sort of late 2016. So why don't we clear room, and I'll mention Linux Academy, and then we'll just run, sure. the, we'll just run the floor with it. Uh, so let's stop right now. Everybody, I don't care what you're doing. If you're driving, make sure you pull over or just stop in the middle. Of the- Wait, what? Jupiter Broadcasting does not recommend you stop driving on the freeway or – okay. All right. Everybody else, if you're sitting at your desk or whatever else you're doing, go to linuxacademy.com slash coders. Go there to support the show, and then you can sign up for a seven-day free trial of Linux Academy. Linux Academy is an awesome platform to, to learn more, not just about Linux, not just like the nitty-gritty stuff because they got great courseware on that, but all the big high-level stuff you can make lots of money on too. Whether you're an experienced sysadmin or new to the world of Linux, Azure, and AWS, OpenStack, and DevOps, a sharp skill set is an absolute necessity to succeed. Meet Linux Academy, an online Linux and cloud training platform that uses self-paced video courses and hands-on labs to give you real-world experience for a wide range of skills. Train for your certification, learn the latest DevOps tools, and grow your skill set to do better work. Linux Academy is not just a video library. Our scenario-based server labs and quiz system allow you to learn hands-on. We also have full-time human instructors who answer questions and help you earn that certification or promotion at work. We add new training every week, so you'll always be up to date on the latest tech. Sysadmins of every experience level use Linux Academy to stay on the bleeding edge of the Linux ecosystem. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. You know, they just added a new feature uh, this past week that I think is super, super cool. And it's it's nice because when you're going through and sort of planning what you're going to learn at Linux Academy, kind of figuring out how you want to schedule because they have a nice course scheduler and all of that. They've added a quick bookmarks feature where you could sort of like – it's like your watch queue for Netflix in a sense. Um, I think that's super nice. They also have a community that's full of Jupyter Broadcasting members. And like that uh, video mentioned too, they have instructor mentoring, full-time human instructors. Linux Academy has been killing it. They're gaining tons of recognition. They have public profiles now you can share with your employer or clients to see – so they can see the work that you've accomplished and the courses you've taken. And if you're looking for certification training, they have courses created specifically to prepare you for the exams. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. I, I'm really kind of excited to see this hybrid uh, update because it's an interesting topic that we've been following now sort of organically for quite a while. So what's the state of hybrid in Q4 of 2016, Mr. Dominic? Yeah, we uh, – so you know there was a, a brief debate unleashed over here at Buccaneer HQ about hybrid versus native development again. And, and it was almost like a blast from the past because we've had these arguments. Yes, no kidding. It seems like it comes up over and over. Well, it came up because we hit a roadblock. Um, but I, I don't want to mention what the roadblock is just yet. I kind of want to go down the list. The way I see it, there are four main hybrid players right now. Titanium, which I will admit I, I do not know a ton about. It, um, you know, it's a JavaScript SDK. I evaluated it years ago when I think it was actually owned by somebody else. Okay, it's been around for years. That's good. Yeah, it's been around <laughs> a long time. You know, a lot of people used to use it. I don't hear a lot about it now, but I do see it come up in RFP. So it sounds like there's some stuff floating around in Titanium. Uh, React Native. What can you say about React Native that you haven't said about Fidel Castro? Mm. So we'll keep moving. Xamarin, (laughs) I 
make it Raul Castro next. Wow. Nice. Okay. And Ionic, which is like an incompetent but decent hybrid fl- framework. Ooh. So you can tell I, I'm kind of reverting to my old ways here, right? Of my, you know, I used to be a, uh, you know, make native great again sort of guy. I used to really be, yeah. dare we say it, a nativist. Yeah, a native. Sure. Nativist. Let's go with that. I like, I like that. Did you did you see the uh, did you see the article in the subreddit about the uh, gentleman who made a phone gap based game? Yeah, and yeah, I did, and the, and, it, and the performance was pretty garbage for him. Yeah. So, interestingly enough, I'm finding that while Native has certainly gotten better than you know 2010, let's say when I started trying Native out. It really still has some problems. Hybrid or and native? I'm, what are we talking here? Hybrid native. or native? I'm sorry. Hybrid. Hybrid. Oh. I'm so sorry. Um, I, I want to talk about it through the lens of Ionic because Ionic is the one I'm, I'm deepest into. Sure. And it is still my native platform of choice. In fact, I've been able to deploy iOS apps using Ionic on, get ready for it, Linux. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Using something called the Ionic Cloud, which you can go look at at ionic.io because everybody has an IO name these days yep um but there are some problems <laughs> on linux specifically uh with the ionic cloud platform service whatever you want to call it okay okay one of the problems is so so here's how it works right then let's take an ios deployment you put up your code signing keys because god forbid you not code sign something uh into the cloud there's a nice little web gui walks you through how to do it it's great they even have instructions on how to generate the keys on linux or windows or whatever Go in, generate the key, upload it, generate a provisioning prof- profile, upload it, send a binary. You do it all in the command line. So you do like, you know, Ionic package, blah, blah, blah. Name the profile you want to use to code sign it with, and you send it up. It builds it, tells you if it worked or not. Cool. I'm cool with all of that. That all works until you need to do something that requires you to dig into the actual Xcode project. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Because if you don't have a Mac, right, or if you're trying not to use a Mac, yeah. that's very hard. And when you upload it, it appears, and I could be wrong, but in my, let's say, a couple hours of testing, it appears to only upload the W, because Ionic apps are basically Cordova apps, so it appears to upload only the www.directory for the application, not the like generated stuff under the platform's directory. So I had a case where I wanted to do a share extension. You know, one of those iOS things where you tap on a link and, you know, you hold it, something comes up and says, sure. send to, blah, Great. blah, blah. Yeah, yep. Yep, can't do it. What do you mean? Gotta, gotta get, in a, get on a Mac and go into Xcode and add the build target. Do it in the Xcode project structure. Even though all the logic you can do in JavaScript on Ionic, you're still tethered to that. So that's pretty obnoxious and the reason i'm highlighting that limitation is because it's not the normal uh limitations that people complain about with hybrid where oh it's slower oh the animations aren't as good it's functionality using this deployment system not digging into xcode itself is just not as of now possible to do which sucks another disturbing trend i've noticed with all these hybrid platforms on all of their marketing pages, they're going to great lengths to not admit that they're not native. Uh, Titanium, in fact, calls themselves native, which is just not true. I think a more appropriate definite, because they're using whatever, they say they compile down, Xamarin was famous for this, right? They compile down the C-sharp code into like the native Java code or, or the native Bitcode or whatever. Mm. In today's world, I'm almost thinking we need to update the definition of native and hybrid to say, if it is not using Xcode or Android Studio and the, the normal SDK tools, it is not native. Which is fine. I, I am not like saying everything has to be native. But there are some really weird and really odd limitations of hybrid still that I think come from a strategy tax by the platform vendors. You know, There's no reason that Apple requires you to go into Xcode and add another build target uh, to do a share extension other than the blessed path for iOS development is on a Mac with Xcode. Yes. And I wonder if that's one of the reasons why they haven't worked on making it 
like an Xcode for the iPad Pro. Doesn't that seem like that would have been a perfect time to launch Xcode for iOS with the iPad Pro? Create iOS apps on the iPad Pro. Because then you could get then, – then potentially you could just get an iPad Pro and a Linux workstation and you wouldn't need Xcode on the Mac. But they seem – they while they seem to be neglecting the Mac platform pretty blatantly across the entire line at this point, they, uh, they are still tethered to it for their most successful and important platform. The two are very, still very, very, very critically linked. Very intertwined. Yeah, I, 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 I'm one of the holdouts. I really don't think that the end game here is go to the iPad Pro as your development environment. I, I think the Mac does have a place, and I think it's crazy. I mean, as a production environment, Mac OS is far more productive than iOS. Possibly, they could do some things to the iPad Pro to change that. I am a big, and I have been for a long time, you know that, Chris, a big believer in production quality tablet apps. Mm. In fact, I spend a lot of time writing them, though it was for Android over the last year. I, I just, I, I don't think that makes sense. Maybe you're right. I mean, certainly the Swift Playground does work, and honestly, I gave it to my nine-year-old brother, and it's a great tool. Um, I would not be shocked if our sons, and, you, and obviously you have a daughter as well, end up, if they're learning programming in school, if they end up learning it on something that looks like an iPad rather than a traditional desktop. But for right now, for my production needs, for when their industry is, I don't think that makes sense. And I find, it, that's kind of an aside, where I wanted to go with this native hybrid discussion is I find myself very conflicted. Mm. You know, I have been a pretty strong, you know, I flip-flopped, right? I Call me Mitt Romney. <laughs> that's an old reference now. That's an old man reference now. I, I know. Poor, poor Mitt. Can we just have a moment of silence for saying Republican? No, I'm kidding. Um, you know, I somehow simultaneously believe all of my old rhetoric about how hybrid apps are just fundamentally better. I mean, I'm sorry. How, God damn, this is hard. How native apps are just fundamentally better. But I I do truly believe that the puck is going towards most things being hybrid and not just hybrid, but like HTML five, uh, you know, web technology based. Like, I, I don't think Xamarin is, is where it's at. I think Xamarin is a great crutch for people from the .NET and Microsoft space. And I have to be honest, I still think XAML is very, very good, but I, to me, Xamarin's kind of going to be, you know, like the Vic 9, what is it, the uh, the old computer, the Vic something? I think you're right, the Vic 9. Now you got me screwed up. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the, the Vic, like the, uh, you're talking about the Vic, not, uh, yeah, the Vic 90, I think. Vic no, 90 that's or 900? Some, God dang it. Damn it. Now look, it, now that's horrible. That's horrible. That's, something, that's horrible that we can't remember this. I mean, this is your age bracket. But. Wow, wow, now you're putting it right on me. You're putting it right on me. The chat room will tell us. But whatever. Oh, but. it's the Vic 20. The Vic, the Vic 20. 20. The Vic 20. Right, right. The computer. Yeah. It, I feel it was better. important. It, it does feel I feel better that we got that right. Mm-hmm. It was important and it had a place, but it's ultimately not the direction things are going in. So what do you think? Am I crazy? Because, you know, we get a lot of email about this hybrid stuff. We get a lot of, particularly on Twitter, because the uh, native developers are rather aggressive and they're making Xcode great again. About how you much know, I'm just I I'm maybe not the right. See, I am such a performance snob. I can't. I, well, you I, did drop the Android platform. <laughs> I did. I dropped Android because it's yeah. still even on the Nexus yeah. 6P felt too sluggish for me in a lot yeah. of cases. Um, I am really sensitive to performance, mostly mostly because uh, these these. Devices I use more as tools, especially when I'm like parent mode or business mode. And I really, I've, I have no capacity for my tools to not operate efficiently. And when they are something I enjoy to tinker with, or when they are part toy, part tool, when they are um, something that is a, a, a learning experience for me, something that I, I enjoy with putting ROMs on there and I'm, I'm experimenting with different, different capabilities. 
then I am I am I am not in a mode to be offended by performance issues or maybe the fact that the Wi-Fi doesn't work quite right or that the camera's purple or that the thumbprint reader takes three attempts. Like all of these things well, I have much higher app. tolerance for. But when I want to use it as a tool and I and I want it to be responsive and fast, when I'm using Uber out on the street and it's cold and it's starting to rain and I want somebody to pick me up in three minutes, I want that Uber app to be as fast as possible. Okay. And you know, that's just yeah. Depends on the context of the use, I think. I mean, that's obviously true, right? I mean, use the right tool for the right job. What I found really interesting when we had this debate internally, it was me and my, you know, senior guy basically fighting uh, in the in the most, you know, wimpy sort of way possible. Mm-hmm. And I was the the prophet for for hybrid. And over the Thanksgiving holiday, I had a very sad realization why. It just makes my job easier sure. to sell hybrid. Sure. Less risk, hybrid, too. Less risk. I can do it. I can do the dev work on Linux. And you know what? We've done a lot of Ionic work. We have a lot of stuff that we can template out. And you can bang out multi-platform applications much quicker. Right. Um, oh, and also we can like sell it for you know X thousand less. And then there's a scale, too. If you, take, if you get enough clients that want to do this with you, uh, the, the, or the, the, if you get enough clients that are okay with an Ionic solution, I should say, then you build a library of code that you can start to pull on to make future projects even easier. Well, that's what I said. We have a lot of templates, a lot of libraries. Oh, yeah, okay. What, what, what I did, though, to challenge myself, because he was on about, and he's like you, he's like, I'm on my iPhone. Like, he, he hates Android because he thinks it's slow and crappy. I'm on my iPhone. I want my apps to work. Things need to look good. They need to be sexy. We need animations. He's really hammering me with the, do you want to be Walmart or Nordstrom kind of thing? I decided to open up my iPhone 7, go down the apps, look at all the apps that I use every day. I won't say favorite, but like these are the apps I generally, well, I guess they are my favorite, right? I use hmm, I'm going to do that right now too. I'll look at my running apps. Right. We could do it together. Thumbprint. It's fun. That's fun. All right. So uh, definitely, I know I can tell you, Overcast is in there. The Hue Overcast native. The uh, the Hue Light app. It's the old one. I think the new one might be hybrid, but the old one I think is native, and that's the one I prefer. Tweetbot native. Safari notes. Garbage. Garbage. Telegram. What do you think about Telegram? That's probably native. I, I don't. I, I imagine it's native, but I don't know. Slack, not native, but one of the buggier apps on my phone. Bedit, which is a sleep tracking thing, which is a- yeah. iPhone only. Um, ETA, which is iPhone only. Automatic, this is a hybrid one. Fantastical, native. I don't know about Nuzzle. But Hacker News, Nuzzle. NPR One is probably a hybrid one. It's probably Tweetbot's definitely native. Pocket, native-esque. There's a lot of HTML right Inbox would be hybrid. I would imagine. Air, yeah, AirMail, which is my email client, native. OmniFocus, native. To-do, the native. New, the new Vonage app, native. Alien Blue, native. Yeah, Backpoints, so, hybrid. I have to plug myself. I got, I do, so I have a mix, but I would say my. I'd say I have more native, but I would say there is a mix. It's funny. It almost goes right down the line, I said. There's some apps right. that I'm... I'm I'm a little more tolerant for their for them being hybrid. So like like for example, the uh the Google Photos app. Um I don't really care if that's hybrid or not, as long as it works. Same with the Google search app and the automatic app which I use for tracking my driving. So do you know what I and we don't need to go down the whole list, but you know what it ended up being that was true? The apps that like I bought for my own personal use were native. Were native. Yeah. And the apps that were like my bank right. <laughs> or you know, work are almost all hybrid. Right. And I, there is a big, big quality difference. I mean, my bank's app is terrible. I just got to be <laughs> honest. It, 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 it is like the laziest phone app app you could possibly yeah, do. My bank's, yeah, my bank is, is terrible too. And I, it is the same exact app on Android and the same exact app on iOS. And it sucks yeah. on both of them. It's like, I'm like, okay, guys, you opened a UI web view and you were like, let me load a URL. Yay! It's really bad. Slack is is good, but it weirdly bugs out and like doesn't clear notifications and stuff, which is kind of annoying. Um, I I don't really know what to think because, on the one hand, to me it's an article of faith. It's so obvious that you know software platforms become commoditized. The general trend in software development, even if we talk about languages, right? Simplifying from, you know, 
crazy ass Fortran to C, this order might be wrong, to C to Java. Let's just stop at Java. Hmm. You were commoditizing and make it easier to do bigger projects at lower or the same budget. It's it's so clear to me that we should be seeing a lot more hybrid doing a lot, frankly, better than it is. But on my iPhone, I'm not seeing that. And on my Android phone, the apps just suck. Well, you know, a lot of those dark matter developers that listen to our show are probably creating apps for their business using hybrid. Oh, no, I totally think line of business apps should generally be hybrid unless you're like buying 500 tablets mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. like one vendor. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about, you know, let's do a thought experiment. In five years, you and I are bitching about iOS 15 and you're switching. Although, let's be honest, Chris, you'll never go back to Android. I, I don't know. Probably oh, the, not. The, the next time the camera app crashes, you, you'll you'll be there for a week. It'll crash. You'll be taking oh, a picture yeah, of the kids. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. The, I I, I yeah. missed the picture of my uh, my youngest getting on the bus for her first day of yeah. kindergarten. That really did upset me. Yeah, you'll throw that right in the sewer drain. <laughs> Ooh, they got my. I can feel like my heart rate just went up just yeah. just remembering that. That was really upsetting. But you know, up until about a week and a half ago, it was an absolute article of faith that in five years there'll be virtually no native apps that i would be using in fact i didn't think i was using so many today even except for like the really specialized people who are like really and frankly iphone like people who just love ios and apple people developers but now i'm i'm starting to question it because ah, it's just a it is there is a sacrifice in being native, right? There is a, oh, you want to tie into this, uh, I'm sorry, into being hybrid. Oh, you want to tie into this native functionality that just came out. Well, you have to go into Xcode and you have to, you know, add this target and do this configuration. And thing. it's definitely always going to be like that. I mean, like, I, Apple is not going to make this easier. Well, like, and I don't think Google has much interest in making it too much easier either. They're getting more and more locked down too. Yeah, they should just fix scroll views. I mean, <laughs> it's... <laughs> Fix me a table view. Forget about all of it. It is a it uh, is a it is a big problem, and I think we're thinking about it a lot in the terms of uh, mobile apps. I right. think about it in a lot, and I I think there's a lot of businesses out there that want to take advantage of cheap Android tablets. They want it. They want to create a web input. In, they want to use a web a web app for the people sitting at desks inputting information. The reason why I say this is I I just. I had I had a real two year deep dive into the entire construction business for all of Washington, and because I worked at a place where any plans in Washington for building for any architect plans went through this one central location for imaging and documentation for the government, right. and then for people to bid on. And in this, I tell you, I was blown away. It just it changed the way I see these tablets in the business. And be, be, for them, these devices with eight, nine hours of battery, built-in LTE, and uh, just the ability to pull up things on a web page or an app is so huge for them. And then they have people back. They have, they have secretaries and assistants back at their office that's doing the, the heavier data input. And so on if, a web app, though. Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no, I, 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 like desktop apps, I think, except for, again, if you're buying a super sleek Mac app because you're a hipster – I, I I can't imagine you not using an Electron app or some sort of just straight-up web app. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which, again, is another thing on the side of, you know, eventually it's all just going to be HTML and JavaScript. JavaScript it, is yeah. going to simulate the world. You know, I've been, using, I've been using N1, which is okay. an, an Electron-based uh, email application. Yep. That uh, I've been using it for like two, three months now on three different computers. And... Um, I love it. It's it's become it's making email more manageable for me. It's huge. Is it making it great again? Oh, is it huge? Well, uh, it's huge. Yeah, it's bigly. Yeah, it's it's uh, very it's it's making it's it's bigly affecting my email usage. Oh, and that's an Electron app, and um, it's not the most resource friendly. It doesn't have it does have a few quirks here and there, but it is a rock solid email application that uh, I couldn't care less if it's Electron. And same with the damn Slack app I use on my desktop, too. And they're, all these are running on Linux, and I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty tickled pink about it, actually. Well, the Slack app I'm literally running right now on my Raytel is Electron. Uh, how about Adam, the code editor that I would be willing to bet 
a number of people listening to the show use. Sure. And how about Visual Studio Code, which I'm willing to bet a much smaller number of people <laughs> listening to the show use. Oh. Both Electron apps. Oh. I, that oh. was that was. I am sorry. That was unnecessary. So um, that brings us back to the VIC-20. And I think your comment about the VIC-20 yeah. being a product of its time is fair, but it was still a very useful product of its time with a very right, long Xamarin. life. Let's just do it. Xamarin. Xamarin, tell me I'm wrong. You, you can be the Redmond defender here. Oh, okay. In my opinion, Xamarin exists to solve the problem of there is an ass ton of .NET developers out there who couldn't get into mobile. Sure. That's definitely what it became, yeah. I mean, originally, right, was about it was about mono. What was it really, though? Yeah, it I was. Mean, yeah, it was, absolutely. I, I always felt the whole mono open source thing was very half-hearted. But. Well, they, it was about mono, and then the, when that didn't take off, they, they pivoted they, they to mobile. They didn't do a whole lot. I just, you know. Well, they did. They did well, they weren't a, successful. Fine. Yeah. They, were, they did. You, you're right. There was a lot of effort. People worked hard. They, in fact, I'm sure they did a good job. But it, Zamarian does feel like it solves a problem that is ceasing to exist to a certain degree. I'm not saying that there are not tons of use cases for it still, but much like Apple doesn't feel to, they need the, they need to make a laptop with more than 16 gigs of RAM, there's just less why, and less why? users. I feel like there's less and less use cases where Zamarian's going to make sense because I, I truly believe the company was initially started as a bit of an anti-response to Microsoft, as a bit of a, well, we're going to bring this technology to the Linux platform and use it on open source servers, and we're not going to let you steal our lamp thunder. And I feel like that was the initial thrust behind creating Mono for the Linux platform and then creating the development tools around it. And then when they failed to gain any traction, because let's be honest, nobody wanted to use it. And then they, there's well, all kinds it, of licensing. Oh, no, 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 no. Hang on. Let me Barack Obama you for a second. No, 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 no. Okay, go ahead. A lot of people wanted to use it, including yours truly. But they made a promise in Xamarin Forms that they did not keep. Okay, they kept it for iOS, sort of. They, mm. It just didn't work on Android. Okay. You, you had a list view with images. The fucker crashed. There was nothing you could do about it, right? <laughs> it, I mean, it, I, I just... The reason I think it's going to be an also-ran is every year these JavaScript engines on these platforms get faster. So you don't need that weird compile down to native that really is the Xamarin value prop other than, oh, I'm a .NET developer and I would like to use the tools I know, which is not an invalid thing to be, right? If I was a .NET developer, I would be clinging to Xamarin. And you know what? I see Xamarin RFPs at least you know once every other month, if not more. I probably see more than that. But I, I don't. I don't think in five years, with the exception of legacy, and people are still supporting Fortran, so I'm not, I'm not knocking, I'm not saying Xamarin is is like, you know, quantitatively bad or in some way fundamentally a, an incorrect technology. I'm just saying it is, it is the VIC-20. It's cool, great. I'm glad you like it, but you are not going to be the mainstream. You are, you are not where things are going to go. Yeah, and I'm glad you I, cringe when we talk about Xamarin, uh, Dark Matter developer. Oh, I agree. I'm getting a little cringy. I'm getting a little puckery here about it. So I, the other point that people were kind of raging about in the chat, and I know you want to go soon, so we'll just be quick. Oh, me, yeah. Is, is will JavaScript in its current form exist? Will it evolve? Or will something like TypeScript, or, and let's be frank, it's not going to be uh, <laughs> CoffeeScript, will something like that or Dart, which, again, it's not going to be Dart, take over? And I... I do see some really significant mindshare around TypeScript and a lot of enthusiasm. I have tried it. I don't. I'm not deep enough into it because you know code bases exist and they're in JavaScript, and I I don't think commingling makes sense. Maybe JavaScript will evolve to be an easier to work with. In fact, it already has. Right? There's modules. Um, there's classes. Although that's a bad idea. You shouldn't do that. There's promises, which are awesome. You should be using promises. That how how I guess I'm asking all you crazy people. How do you not see that JavaScript is obviously the present, the future, you know? And we're all going to be old and crotchety and making YouTube videos about how Objective C sucked. Yes, Uncle Bob, I did watch that video. Maybe it's not so much they don't see it. Maybe it's they're trying their best to prevent it from happening. Hmm. Hmm. I'm just I'm just suggesting to you that it's not that people don't see that it's the present and the future. It's that not everybody's on board. That's all. So they're, they're going off in their own path and doing their own thing. I, I know a fellow who's very passionately against Swift but has no choice but to write it. 
do you not think that you know? Yeah, okay, fair. So momentum will drag you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If depending on what your market motivation is, for sure. Yes, yeah, or your employer motivation. <laughs> yeah. In that case, you're absolutely right. Your statement is one I think 100 percent Coda Radio approved, legit. And besides, Ooh. I'm I put I'm betting on my Bitcoin on React. So how's your Bitcoin doing these days? <laughs> Bitcoin right now, actually. Post-Trump has done pretty well. It's been over 700 now post-election. It's at $731.60 now that I'm watching it. But that's what rumor I is. I mean, hey, maybe Trump will make Objective-C break great again. I would be very happy with that. Uh, you know, if Trump crashed the economy for some reason, it would probably be great for Bitcoin. So And horrible for everybody else. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. You might, maybe. We'll see. Right. You should just move to Canada. And I bet, I bet those Canadians up there, they're, they need tons of stuff developed for them. So you could, you know, hook up with Ali Jude, see if he could throw you a little business. You start a whole, whole new career up there under Trudeau. You'd love it. We could call it Mountie Tech. I don't believe you. All right. Are you ready to get out of here? Get it out of here. Uh, I'm good. I'm going to go snuggle up with an old Objective-C manual. See, see I think uh, that'll, that's, that'll be comforting. I should try to remember to bring myself in a, a Coda Radio traditional next week, either coffee, tea, or Sam Adams. I'll like make myself a little note in Siri. Hell, let's see if it works. Hold on a second. Hey, Siri. Set a reminder for next Monday at 9 a.m. to buy beer. Okay, I'll remind you. There we go. So then... When I get when everybody else gets here at jblive.tv on Monday next week, you can enjoy a beer with us, and we'll do Coda Radio appropriately equipped. Uh, you can also find it in your local time at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar, and you can contact us at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. And don't forget about that subradio at coderadio.reddit.com. Find Mike and me on Twitter. Links to the show notes. See you back here next week.